This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible so we can do a Bible study. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. We want you to be able to follow along to see the word yourself. We finish our four-part series today. This is part four of our real behavior series, how Christians should behave, and more specifically, how Christians should behave in church. This last uh, service on the Real Behavior series. The title is Order in Worship. One of the things that could be said about the church in Corinth, they was very disorderly, and they were believers. So uh, Paul is having to correct them and to um, give them instructions and, and right direction for their order of service and, and order in worship and how they would be functioning as a church if, if you remember last week in chapter 13, we talked about how the love of the world is selfish. You remember that? Kind of how we finished and ended. The love of the world is selfish. The world defines love as what makes me feel good, what I want. And if I really like something because it makes me feel a certain way, then I can love it, you know? And we have the same word, love for everything. You love your wife, the same, we use the same word for I love pizza, Sometimes the pizza creeps up on the scale depending on your relationship with your wife, right? No, it shouldn't. It should be a different kind of love. It, it, it's, a, it's an agape love, kind of love that we, we should have for each other. But the world's definition of love is selfless, selfish. The Bible and God's definition of love is selfless. It's, it's to give rather than to receive. Now, Paul is going to, in chapter 14, illustrate this with two gifts of the Spirit that have been given to the church. He highlights those two. One is the gift of tongues. The other is the gift of prophecy. The gift of tongues, he's going to make the argument, is a selfish gift. It's a gift that you receive. It's a gift that God has given to the church, but there's no benefit or profit for anybody else besides you who have the gift of tongues unless there's somebody to interpret that tongue. The gift of prophecy, on the other hand, is to be the, used for the building up of the church, the encouragement of the church. It's the, the word of God proclaimed and preached in truth. So kind of keep that in mind. I want to set the, the stage for us as we're getting into it. There's different kinds of ways that we use our gifts that God's given us to God. My question to you in the beginning of the service, and I'll, and I'll ask you again at the end of the service, is how do you use the gifts that God has given you? Do you take those gifts and, and, and use them selfishly, or do you take those gifts and use them selflessly? You know, God, give me a Harley so souls can be saved. We'll talk about that later. Am I really concerned about people's salvation because I want a bike? Well, that's between me and the Lord, not for you to say. It was a joke. It's all right. 
Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer for this chapter. Father God, we thank you so much that, like Grace said, that you are faithful, God. You are so faithful. You are so good. You are so gracious. You are so kind. You're so merciful. You're so loving. You're so long-suffering. Those attributes that we get to see that come from you, that you want us to exemplify in our lives as well. The selflessness that we see in the Father sending the Son, the selflessness that we see in the Son giving his life, not just giving it, but, but on the cross, tortured for the will of the Father, for the redemption of mankind. You're so good. You're so, so good. We ask that you would teach us in your word today, that you'd encourage us, that you would bless us, and that we would be able to identify and look at those gifts that you've given us, and that we'd be able to use them to bless others instead of just using them to bless ourselves. Bless your word, Father, we pray. Thank you for the worship that we got to give the sacrifice of praise. Thank you for your, the studying of your word that we're going to look at right now as an act of worship and our tithes and offerings to you, Father. We, we present those to you as an act of worship to bless you, Father, in, in all that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So what we're going to do, something a little different, it, you know, it, I, I think it turned out a little better than I was expecting it to, but I, I made an acronym through the chapter. The 39 verses in chapter 14, so it's kind of long. We're going to finish the whole thing today because it's all the same content, the same subject, this prophecy in tongues. But as we go through the chapter, I'm going to pinpoint a word. And I'd like you, if you're taking notes, to follow along. Write the word down, and then we're going to get an acronym at the end to help us remember some of these things that we learned today. In that first verse, we get our first word and the first letter to our acronym. Verse 1, word 1, pursue. Write that down if you want to follow along and try to jeopardy. I'll, I'll give a prize, a new car or somebody to some... For, for, for figuring it out. You can't buy any vowels, though. No, no disorder in, in, in the service, please. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. God has given gifts to his church. The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. That means they cannot be taken away. He doesn't want to take them away. He's given you talents. Jesus told us the parable of the talents. You receive something from God. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to do something with it or are you going to bury it? So it's good to pursue love. Pursue love. And it is good to desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Again, if you're taking note in verse 3, our second letter, second word this morning, but he who prophesies speaks edification. Jot that word down, edification. What does edification mean? Church? It means to build up. Like you're building a building. You're building up. You're encouraging. 
He says, the gift of prophecies for edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What does that mean? He builds himself up. But he who prophesies edifies the church. What is the gift of tongues? Very controversial. Many people don't even want to talk about it. Many, if not most churches, I would just like to say, I apologize, but many, if not most churches, skip this chapter. Many churches are exercising things in their churches where I think that if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, they've ripped the page out because they're not adhering to what the Word of God instructs as far as these gifts go. And you have two sides of the pendulum. You have people who have gone so far over to one side that they misuse and abuse the gifts, both of tongues and prophecy. And then you have this whole other side of the pendulum where they're, they're, they're not even used at all. And they're not meant for today and they're not meant for anybody to use. We have to try to help ourselves, find ourselves in, in the Word of God right in the middle Are these gifts still for us? Yes, they have to be. If you start picking and choosing what kind of gifts and things you can take out of the Bible so you don't have to deal with them anymore, guess what? You can pick and choose anything you want. Then you have different groups. These guys don't like this, so they took this out. These guys don't take like that, so they took that out. That's not what we want to do or what we should do with God's word. We want to balance it. So what is the gift of tongues for? It says there that the gift of tongues is for the edification of a person, correct? And what that means is somebody speaks in tongues, it gives them like some kind of a direct connection line to God and and it allows them to feel like more in his presence. Like they're speaking directly to him. I've never shared this with you guys before and I really hesitated to share it now. And this is why, because it's so controversial and, and I'm so about not causing my brothers and sisters to stumble, whatever their convictions are. So, you know, I just, I don't, we, we don't, we, we, when we go there in scripture, we talk about it. So because we're there and we're talking about it, I'm going to share this with you. I have the gift of tongues. I, I can identify with Paul when he says, I speak, I thank God that I speak tongues more than you all. We're going to get to that verse. You probably never heard me speak in tongues before. So if I can say to you what it's like to be able to have the gift of tongues, I would say it's like being able to express something to him that I'm feeling that I cannot put together in any other language, that I cannot express in English, I cannot express in Croatian, I cannot express, so it just comes out in this spiritual gift of tongues. We saw earlier that that Paul said that not everybody has the gift of tongues. And not everybody should have the gift of tongues. Everybody's different. But I believe the gift of tongues is specifically for those people who need to have that sense of a little bit uh, closerness, being close with God. And there's some people that don't need that so much. I need that edification. I need to know the Lord is with me. I need to know that he is for me. I need to know that, that he's leading me. I need to know that he's talking. Sometimes I get in a, in a frustrated state where I'm confused about the things that are happening around me. God is not the author of confusion. He doesn't want me to be confused. And I cry out to him and cry out to him. And God, I need to hear from you. He's always faithful to speak to me. 
And if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I've been in that position before too, Tim. I've cried out to God and cried out to God and I didn't hear back from him. Then don't stop crying. Then don't stop crying. Keep crying out. He's not going to ignore you. He, He will lead you to the rock that is higher than you are. Who's the rock that's higher than you? Jesus Christ. Pour out your hearts before him. He's a refuge for you. He's a refuge for us. And it could be, I'm not saying definitively, but I'm saying it could be that God gives the gift of tongue to his church, individuals in his church, to encourage them personally, independently, to engage him in that relationship, to have that sense of nearness that some people need more than others. I feel the same way about my wife. I want her with me all the time. She makes me feel good. I put her in my pocket, take her around, go on a mission trip for two weeks, and I'm miserable. You know, I'm like, oh, man, how come you couldn't come? Because we have five kids. So what? The kids will be fine. Leave them at home. Thomas is 12 now. I thought people start babysitting at like 10 or something. They're fine. We don't have any money. We'll put it on the credit card, you know. I want you to be with me. I need that sense of you being near. We, just, we had lunch the other day, and, and I forgot what we were talking about, but, um, yeah, I, I can't remember still, but um, <laughs> I was saying, I just, I don't want to be with anybody else. You know, we were talking about something, and she's like, oh, you're so sweet, rolled her eyes or whatever, but I'm like, I don't want to be with, I just want to hang out with you. Let's go hang out and do something, you know? Let's go. That should be similar to, if not the same, of, of how we want our relationship with God to be. God, I want to be near you. Maybe that's why... God made me the way that I am, and he gave me a wife whose name is Grace, who is the way that she is. And I have a relationship with God with gifts that he's given me based on my personality and the things that I need. Because, you know, people are needy, and it's okay to, to recognize that. But here's the question, and, and really here's the foundation of, of what this chapter is about, what we're going to get more into. Do you use your gifts that God's given you? By his Holy Spirit. Do you do the, use those gifts for self-edification or the edification of others? Because Paul says it's okay to have the gift of tongues and to be, and to be edified in yourself, but, but you should also seek that you have the gift of interpretation so that you're not the only one edified. Other people can be edified as well. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. It's a real key word here, isn't that? We see that word over and over again, edification, edification, the building up, the building up, the putting together. There's our third word. If you're taking notes in our acronym, our third word is receive. When you have a gift, it's meant that you would give to somebody else that could receive it. It's to receive edification, you using your gifts in that way. Verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? There's four things that you can take note of. Paul says, I am not going to profit you by coming to you and just speaking in tongues. I am going to profit you by either a revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Now let's clarify. 
prophecy gets almost just a bad, just as a much of a bad rap as the gift of tongues gets. It's pretty close. Maybe it's not quite as bad. But we talk about prophecy, and people automatically think about like fortune forecasting, and that's not what the gift of prophecy is. The, the, the biblical definition of the gift of prophecy is to speak forth the truth of God's word. So you can open up the word of God and read something and have God by his Holy Spirit say, boom, verse eight, that's for you. Look at that verse, write it down. That is for you. It's a prophetic word. It's a word of truth spoken to you. I could say something to you that could be a prophetic word, a truth of God spoken directly to you. I think we've shied away from using those terms because of the gross misuse and misrepresentation of what those gifts truly are. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? What if the trumpet guy, the bugle boy, just started playing some, you know, sick jazz riffs? Well, that sounds real great, buddy, but like, what are we supposed to do with that? I'm trying to tell you guys to go to battle, but I'm bored with all that old school, you know, bugling. <laughs> no. There's a distinction in the sound so that we can have direction, so we know where to, to go, what to do, so there's no confusion. So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, what, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. There's many different languages in the world, right? Have you ever listened to foreign languages? I, it's fascinating for me to speak in a different language, no matter what it is. It's just fascinating for me. Have you ever been in line at the grocery store and the people behind you start speaking in another language? Kind of, you know, yeah, that's cool. They're speaking a different language. And then for some reason or another, there's a point where you think that they're talking about you. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I'm like, you better, listen, I think you're, you better not be talking about me because I don't understand what you're saying. And if you are talking about me, then I want to know what you're saying. I want to have understanding. We had these two friends who... Uh, live in Hungary. They still live in Hungary. Um, one's part, I think they're both part Croatian, but they're primarily Hungarian. And when we were in Croatia, we would go hang out with them. They would come hang out with us. And, and we both, you know, spoke Croatian. So sometimes we'd speak Croatian to each other. We both spoke English. They spoke English very well, being Hungarian, raised in that part of the world. Um, but we would always converse in English. And and every once in a while, and it seemed like, I hope they're not watching. Hi, guys. You know who you are if you're watching. We'd be talking in English, you know, and then all of a sudden, they'd start speaking in Hungarian because they knew that we couldn't understand. They wanted to talk about something. And I got kind of a little, you know, I'd get a little offended. I'm like, I can't believe you're really doing this again. You know, like, I'm like a little kid. Go out of the room. Mommy's got to talk to daddy. Come on. So you, so you want to, you know, you want to, you don't like, my shirt today or whatever. You can tell me. You don't have to speak in another language. The offense comes because there's a lack of understanding. When we have understanding in languages, then we can have communication and work together. That's really the key of what's happening here, isn't it? 
the relationships in Corinth, in the Corinthian church, were suffering because there was a lack of communication. They were speaking languages all right, heavenly languages and everything else. But the problem was there wasn't any real communication that was happening. Do you, did you, do you realize that whenever there is something that, that is troubling or difficult in any kind of interpersonal relationship, relationship that you have, that many, many times, if, if not most times, it's connected to communication. And you go and you talk to somebody and say, I'm having this problem with somebody. Well, did you talk to them? Well, no. Why not? Maybe you should just tell them how you feel and, and, and you guys can work it out. I don't know. I don't want to. Or have you ever met somebody or talked to somebody who's an over-communicator? It's like, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. You just said the same thing 10 times. I get it. Sometimes in communicating, we just need to say what needs to be said, and that's enough, that's it. The Corinthian church was focused so much on the gift of tongues on the individual benefit, the building up of the gift of tongues, they were focused so much that it started to create this kind of pride. They thought that they were smarter than Paul. They thought that they had it all together. They had this wisdom that Paul addresses in the beginning of the book, and he's like, you guys think that you have this, you know, this Sophia, the Greek word for wisdom, this Sophia wisdom, and, and, and you're falling short in something else. You're falling short in truth. So he has to bring this correction, direction. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. I skipped over our fourth word which is foreigner. So you can jot that down if you're taking notes. So far we have P-E-R-F. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. There's our next word, excel. What's the benefit of edification in the church and people's focus on edifying each other? There's an excelling, there's a growing, there's a movement. There's a unity. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I pray with the spirit and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with understanding. What is he saying here? He's saying, even if you have the gift of tongues, and you have a sense of nearness to God, there's some kind of connection or relationship with him, you still don't know what you're saying. So, you know, you're going to speak in tongues, but you're also going to have to say things that you do understand, that your spirit can affirm, that you can engage in an in, in, in understandable relationship with God in prayer. He says, or you can pray for the gift of interpretation, you can have the gift of tongues, but also be able to interpret it, to know what's being said. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? I attended a more charismatic church when I was a younger believer. And they did many things that, that 
was not healthy for me as a young believer, but I knew, even as a young believer, these practices that, 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 that they would take part of, I knew that these practices um, made me uneasy. I didn't feel right about it. I didn't know what was going on. One of these instances was we would, you know, go over to this, my friend's house in prayer, and there, we'd be in a group praying, and they would all start speaking in tongues, and I would hear people say while we were there praying, one person's praying, other people are pe- speaking in tongues. It's very kind of, conf- can be confusing. And, and I, I would hear people say, amen, amen, you know, not to the person who was praying, but, but to the one speaking in tongues. And I'm like, how do you even know what they're saying? Like, you can't amen and affirm something that, that, that you don't know about, that you don't have understanding in. It's exactly what the Word says. How can you say amen if you don't have either the gift of interpretation somebody with the gift of interpretation, or they're speaking in your language. You can't. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is Paul the Apostle saying that he has the gift of tongues and he speaks in tongues more than anybody else. But he would rather say five intelligible things in the church than speak 10,000 words in tongues. Take note, our next word is in this verse. It's church. Write down that next word, church, in our acronym. I feel like I mentioned, I feel the same way. I have the gift of tongues. I don't talk about it openly. I've never shared this story with you guys in church publicly, but because of the topic and because you know, I want understanding to, to come from this discussion on the gift of tongues, I want to share with you the process that happened when I received the gift of tongues. I was 19. I was struggling in life. I didn't have any direction. I didn't even necessarily want to be here anymore. I was confused. When I, when I turned 18, I received a very large amount of money for an 18-year-old to receive. I was in a car accident when I was eight months old. I was ejected from the car, had most of the, the skin and muscle ripped off my right leg. You could still see I'm missing about a quarter to an inch of muscle and on, my, on my right leg. The doctor or the police, when they came on scene, declared me deceased, that I had died. On the way to the hospital, I came back to life. My mom had said, God, if you save my baby, I'll dedicate him to you for service to you. It's part of my testimony. Fast forward, I'm a teenager. I'm an idiot. I'm doing whatever I want to do. I'm doing drugs, hanging out with my homies at the strip clubs downtown here in Vegas. And, and I got that money when I turned 18. And within a year, I blew it all, you know? I blew through the whole thing. Yeah, I got a truck. I got some toys, paying for my buddy's bar tab, paying for, well, you know how it goes back then. Gone. 19, everything's gone. I got nothing left. I may have to sell my truck and start riding a bicycle so that I can pay my bills. And I'm just miserable. Sitting in my room, smoking a joint, getting high, not knowing what, you know, what, what's going to happen with my life. And I just start crying out to God like I have never cried out to him before. 
just repenting of how stupid I am. Why am I still in this position? Why am I still doing these things? What does my life mean? What is happening? And God spoke to me and said, Tim, you're in this position right now because this is the way that you wanted to live your life. You're not here because of anybody else. You're here because of you. And if you want to continue to live for yourself, this is how your life is going to look. But you gave your life to me before and you didn't hold true to that. And if you give me your life, I will make something good out of it. I will make it better than what you see now. And I cried out with all of my heart, God, please save me. I've repented for my sins. I repented for my backsliding. I repented for my attitude. And I just, and while I was crying, I was bawling. I was crying out to God out of nowhere. Nobody else was there. I was by myself in my room. Um, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I just started speaking in tongues. And it was just, it was so natural that it didn't even surprise me. It was just like I, I was having trouble expressing to God exactly how I was feeling. And then I was able to in a language that I couldn't even understand. And from that time, I, I speak in tongues all the time when I'm praying. But, but we do it according to the biblical model, what the Bible tells us, how it should be used. And I think because a lot of times so many churches so misuse and abuse the gift of tongues particularly that there isn't really any kind of forum for it to, to be done. Here is, here's a conviction of mine. Do we have to have some kind of environment for people to receive gifts from God? I would say no. I would say anytime that does happen, it could be more of an emotional experience than anything else. Could we as individuals anywhere we're at in church, some kind of worship service or at home by ourselves, could we receive gifts from God in any of those avenues? Absolutely. If you don't understand what the gift of tongues is and you want it, ask God for it. I had a couple people after the first service come up to me and tell me their story about how they were baptized in the Spirit or how they started speaking in tongues or how they received different gifts. The, the emphasis, the focus for us should be that we, we would want to have these things from God, right? We would want to have good gifts from Him. We weren't saved into eternity, were we? So many times the gospel's presented so people can go to heaven. No, people are saved. We are saved so we can have a right relationship with God now so that we can receive blessings from him, so we can receive gifts from him. And in turn, we don't take those things, the pearl of great price, we don't take those things and go hide it, keep it to ourselves. We identify, I have this gift of helps, I have this gift or this word of knowledge or this prophecy, or I have the gift of giving, or I have the gift of hospitality. I want to take it, and instead of just using it for myself, I want to take it and, and use it for the edification of the church. Use it for the building up of the church. The blessing of the church. That was our last word, right, church? I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. I would also like to say that because of, again, the, the misuse of the gift of tongues, um, there's a misconception that everybody should, should have it. There's some churches that teach that if an evidence of the Holy Spirit is, is the gift of tongues. This is false. This is not true. The Bible says, 
Paul even says, that not everybody's going to have the gift. He says, I wish everybody did, but everybody doesn't. The marked evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the power of a changed life. If there's any outward evidence of the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit, your life will look differently and continue to look differently than it ever has before. Because you know what? You can't fake that. Talk about relationships and changing people. I thought he was going to get better. I thought she would change when we get married. Listen, people don't change. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, people don't change. Maybe they get better Maybe they get better at managing themselves or controlling themselves, but in, in, in the heart of hearts, they're very similar to who they were. But when you introduce the spirit of the living God into somebody's life, the process of sanctification is started. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit is that your life is going to change. And that God wants your life to change. Verse 20, brethren... Do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will, all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. <clears throat> Therefore tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. People being sent out to preach the gospel into all over different places of the world. There's some people that they, they just have a gift of tongues. And instead of it being a supernatural gift to speak to God, it's a very natural supernatural gift of them to be able to learn and retain languages. And I'll tell you what, when you talk to somebody in another language, it impresses them. I'll tell you something else. When you share the gospel with somebody else in their own language... It moves them. Do you know why? You are somebody who values them as a person so much that you would spend your own time and resources researching and studying and learning their language so that you can give them a message. That's how it's a sign to unbelievers, that this person would learn my language. We'd get that all the time. You know, why, why are you here? Like, we want to move to Las Vegas. Why did you move to Croatia? Because we love you guys. We got, a, we got a, a message for you. We got something to tell you. Why are you having your kids here? Don't you have grandparents? Yeah, but this is where God wants us to be so that we can share with you. Why do you speak our language? So that we can tell you about the love of God. Oh, you have family roots? You have, you know, it's in your... No, we, we, we don't. We just... We want you to understand that God loves you and he's pursuing you. And it means something to them. The gift of prophecy is not for an unbeliever, it's for a believer. To speak to an unbeliever or to other believers. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yes. You guys ever been in that kind of setting before? Ever been to a church where everybody starts speaking in tongues? And the guy up front's like, everybody's speaking in tongues. I'm going to teach you how to speak in tongues. Shut up about a Honda, but I bought a Hyundai. Just keep saying that faster and faster. And it'll kick in. It's like a jump start. 
It's one of my favorite Bible studies by Pastor Chuck Smith going through the Bible. He said, people teach each other how to speak in tongues. You just say, should I bought a Honda, but I bought a Hyundai. And I say, I'll sell the Hyundai and buy a Toyota and things will be a little bit better. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among them. Why is the gift of prophecy beneficial for you? Because God can so use you to speak to somebody else that they think that God's speaking to them. Because of the nature of being a pastor, this happens to me pretty regularly where people come up and they say, how did you know? How did you know that, that that's what I was going through? I, I, I didn't know. God knows. God knew. He had a word for you, a prophetic word to let you know that he knows and he's with you. Had this guy that was an atheist started coming to church with his girlfriend and um, he had come a few times and he had made a couple comments to me even after the first service. He's like, man, how did you know right what I was dealing with? Like, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't know, man. You know, I just, God wants to, wants you to know that he loves you. God is chasing you. And some months go by, he had come like off and on, you know, and then he'd been gone for a little bit. And, and Grace and I took the kids out for breakfast, like a brunch one day. We went into this restaurant and there him and his girlfriend are sitting there. And he's like, oh, hey, he's all surprised. Like, what are you doing here? I'm like, we're getting something to eat. What are you doing here? You know? So I went and sat down and, and he came over and he's like, hey, it's so weird that, you know, it's so weird that you guys are here, you know. Um, did my girlfriend text you and tell you we were here so you'd come talk to me? I'm like, no, man, it's not like that. The Lord texted me. I got him on speed dial. You could have him too. He's like, all right, I just check in. You know, he was dead serious. Did you, what's going on here? I'm like, God loves you. That's what's going on. And he wants you. So they left. Five or ten minutes goes by, and he comes back in. He, like, couldn't drive away. He couldn't leave. He came back, comes back in the restaurant, says, hey, can I talk to you for a second, Tim? I'm like, sure, what's up? He's like, not here. I need privacy. Let's, can we go outside? I need to talk to you. I'm like, sure, let's go outside. So we go outside, and he's like, has my girlfriend seriously been calling you and telling you what I deal with? Because every time I come to church, it's like she told you exactly the fight that we had or the thing that we're going through. And I, and he wasn't offended. He was just like, genuinely, it's freaking me out. I don't like it. And I don't want you guys talking about me behind my back anymore. And I was like, bro, nobody's talking about you. I have no clue what you're going through. But I do know, like I told you before, that God loves you and he wants to pursue you. So he may be using this word of prophecy or word of knowledge or, or whatever it is that he's using to let you know that he cares and that it's time for you to stop running and to surrender your heart to him in repentance. And, and uh, he said, okay, well, thanks for letting me know. He came for, you know, a few more months or so, and then I haven't seen him in, in quite a while, but but that doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because it just goes to show that maybe the timing's off or whatever, but God is pursuing you. He's pursuing me. And sometimes you go through seasons where he's pursuing you a little bit more. And sometimes you feel like he's abandoned you. 
But let, let me tell you and understand this this morning, that he has not abandoned you. If you're a believer, he loves you and he wants to care for you and take care of you. And he's going to. You just have to trust him. You just have to trust him. Seek the gift of prophecy for the edification of the church to build up others. This is another thing that's misconceived about the gift of prophecy. It also has been cast in somewhat of a, a bad, a poor light. Because people get up and they say stupid stuff that have nothing to do with, with God's heart or will for them. I was in a service at that church where this prophet came to town. And he's saying all this weird stuff. And he's saying, hey, everybody here right now, some, there, I know there's more than one, there's multiple people here who have the down payment for your new house in the bank account. I'm telling you right now, God wants you to pull out your checkbook and write that amount to my ministry in Florida. That's the word of the Lord. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Same guy, different day, different service. It was like a week that he was there. I should have caught on earlier, but I didn't. I was still so new, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Sitting to him, listening to him, and he's like, I'm prophesying this and prophesying that and prophesying this and prophesying that. And, and, and God, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, turn to Jeremiah. I forget the chapter and verse. I should look it up. Probably be beneficial for the story. But, but the Lord said, open to Jeremiah, right to this verse. I opened it. Right to that verse, it said, if any prophet says, I prophesy this and that and this and that, this is not a prophet of God, and you shall not receive his words. The exact wordage, the exact verbiage that he was saying. And I was like, oh man, this guy's a false prophet. I got I to gotta tell him. <laughs> I got, somebody, I don't know, maybe nobody told him before. So I waited till after the service, and I was going down to the front, and he kind of, he kind of jets off to the left around stage. So, so I go and I'm trying to catch up and I almost catch him and he, he goes around the corner out and I go for the door and there's a security guard there and he stops me. He said, you, you can't go out there. I'm like, I got to talk to the, the false prophet. I mean, the prophet. I got to talk to the guy. I got to tell him something. It's important. God gave me a word for him. It's like, he did, the prophet doesn't talk to anybody after he's, he's done, you know. Like, I just, it's just going to take a second. He doesn't want to see anybody. He doesn't want to see you. And, I, and I'm thinking, like, it's probably because he's a false prophet. <laughs> he doesn't want anybody to tell him he's a false prophet. First thing I did when I got out of church, there was one of the guys that I was going to church with there. I called him up. I'm like, dude, check this out. This guy's a false prophet. God told me. <laughs> he's like, man, calm down. He's fine. And I'm like, no, no, no. But it's the abuse of the gift like that that we have this kind of little pushback a little bit. When I say I got a word of prophecy for you, how many of you are like, oh, uh, can't he just say you got a word for me, Tim? You don't have to throw that old P word in there. That's not necessary. But is it? It's in God's word. He wants us to be functioning in these gifts. He wants us to be able to give a right representation of the gifts that he give us, gives us and for the edification of his church. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together? Each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The emphasis here is more on the people and what they have to offer individually than coming together and building each other up. The selfish church, you know, like, what do I get? What do I got? 
And to some degree, I think that we have fallen in that respect in many churches in America today the same way. You ask yourself in the morning, we've talked about it before, should I go to church today? And, and instead of asking yourself, does somebody else need me to come to church today? You say, do I want to come to church today? But, but the focus is, again, I'm not trying to be a wet blanket. The focus is on the gathering together for the building up of, of, of the body. You cannot be built up as part of the body of Christ if you're not involved with the body of Christ. You can't be speaking truth, whether you want to call it prophecy or whatever, if you're not engaged with the body of Christ, right? One of the sweet, sweet things that I think is happening in our fellowship right now is our Monday night men's Bible study. These guys that are coming are super cool. They're radical. And we're really able to speak and use our gifts the way that they are intended to be used in the body of Christ. Iron sharpening iron, building each other up, blessing each other, holding each other accountable, praying for each other. for the edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. And there's people who will stand together in a prayer circle with 20 people and they'll all be shouting in tongues at the same time. I can't even hear the person who's praying. I'm like, I, can't, I want to stand by the person. Hey, sh- can you guys stop? Oh no, I'm in the spirit. I can't help it. You can help it. The Bible says you can. And the Bible says that, that you should do two or three in order not speaking to each other or over each other. Which is, we passed it, but our next word is together. Our next word is together. Let there be two or more at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. For if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. I think that this is one thing, if any, that we can commend the church in Corinth for, right? That if their intention really was to come together, like, oh man, I got a word for you, brother. I got a word for you, sister. I got something from the Lord for you. Paul's saying, everybody can do that. Wouldn't that be awesome? If everybody came to church and was like, have I got a word for you? I got a prophetic word that the Lord gave me for you because I was seeking him on your behalf. Wouldn't that be radical? He's like, you guys can all do it, do it. I want you to do it. But just do it one at a time. Just do it in order. Don't go crazy. But the hesitation, the, the withdrawal is because we have people that have gone from, it's the evidence of the Spirit to speak in tongues to, oh, you can bark like dogs in the Spirit now. Oh, you can roar like lions in the Spirit now. You can do anything prophetically in the Spirit. No, that's, that creates confusion. It's, it, it, it should not be that way. So there's a drawback. Like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't be a dog barker or something like that. It's weird. People freaking me out, clucking like chickens. That same church that I went to, the, the pastor had a, a Holy Ghost machine gun. Everybody stand up. He's like, bah, 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 and people be falling down. That doesn't make sense. That was a mysterious God. God works in mysterious ways. Not like that. It's weird. People are going to think you're nuts. 
Because you probably are a little bit. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 32, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know what that means? It means somebody has a prophecy and the Holy Spirit's moving them, they just blurt it out. And they say, this is what the Lord has to say. I can't hold it. The Spirit, it's not even me speaking. The Spirit's compelling me to speak. No, the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet so that there can be order in the, the house of worship. You wait your turn. Keep your word. Get ready to give it. But don't use that as an excuse that, that for some reason you're just, it's God's fault, you know? Isn't that convenient? Not God's fault. He made me burst out during Tim's teaching and prophesy that France was going to win. Get out. Get out. Now I know you're a false prophet, even though they did win, whatever. For God is not the author of confusion. I love that verse. You know, we can learn so much from that verse. God is not the author. Have you ever been in a season where you're confused, where you're frustrated, and you're just confused? Listen, if you're feeling that emphatically, that's not coming from the Lord. God does not want you to be confused. You know what the opposite of confusion is? Or one of the opposite things of confusion? Trust. Dependence. Saying, God, no, this doesn't make sense, but I trust you. God, I, I don't know what's happening, but I know you have it for me for good. And I know that this is just a season. God, I know you are good. And the enemy is the one that wants to come in and bring confusion and confuse you. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That's the flip side, right? Isn't it the flip side? Hey, how are you doing? Okay, you're going through all this junk and the car accident and your brother and all this stuff. What's going on? I just got this peace. You know, God is just taking care of me. I'm not worried about it. I'm not tripping. I'm not trying to figure it out. Man, I'm not confused. Just, I'm at peace. God has given me peace. God is a God of peace. And I'll tell you what's absent when I was in those situations, even as a young believer, even with very little spiritual discernment, even as a baby Christian, there was one thing that I could recognize when they all start howling and shooting each other and, and roaring and everything else, there was definitely was a, an absence of peace. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. This is a little off. Next verse, 34, my favorite. <laughs> Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. They are to be submissive, as the law also says. This is one of the most uh, uncontextualized verses in the New Testament. You know, there's people who have developed dogmatic doctrine about how women shouldn't speak in the church. Do you guys really believe that this is what Paul's saying? Because I'll give you a, a spoiler alert. It's not. That is not what he's saying. Now, we'll break it down a little bit for you to bring some clarity. But even if we just put it in the context, what was he just talking about? He was just talking about speaking in tongues, prophecy, order. And some people believe he's saying that he, he's not allowing women to be the interpreter of tongues or speaking out in prophecy. There's a problem with that because in chapter 11 and chapter 13, he gives them authority to speak in tongues and to prophesy. 
women should be doing that thing. So what does this mean? We look a little bit deeper. There's some scholars that believe that this was omitted originally from Paul's text. In fact, if you read it and take that out, it kind of makes sense. It says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. You skip down to 36. Or did the word of God come originally from you? It kind of flows a little bit better. But here's the problem with that, that we have it here. <laughs> if, you know, God doesn't make mistakes, so it's still there. So let's take it to the next, the next uh, vantage point. We break it down to help us understand a little bit more in the Greek. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. That word for speak in the Greek, I'll have Grant put it on the screen here, is la, laio. And it's where we get our word la-la from, la-la-la-la-la. And what it means is chattering or being disruptive. And what many people believe is that the churches at that time, they were very new, they were very fresh. Women did have some kind of authority in the secular worship and and things are being taught and they're chattering, they're talking. And, and, And Paul's saying, hey, I don't permit you guys to chatter, to be disruptive. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you guys got to stop being disruptive. If you have a question, then that's fine. Just wait till you get home and ask your husband or wait till after the service is over and talk to somebody about it. I'll tell you what, as a pastor, there is, there is little things that are more annoying and frustrating for me than when people are engaging in their own conversation while I'm teaching a Bible study. It is very difficult for me to keep my, you know, keep my place and like, what are they talking about? It's like the foreign languages thing. Are they talking about me? And at the corner of my eye, I'm not pointing at anybody over there, by the way, you guys aren't talking. But at the corner of my eye, I can see there's a little conversation happening. And I was teaching a Bible study one time where there are these two girls that were sitting in the front row. They were talking the whole time. And I really don't, I hate calling people out. You know, I hate it. But it was so bad. I was losing my train of thought so bad that I, I had to say, stop and say, hey, can you guys please stop talking? Like, it's really d- distracting me. Can you believe that I continued to teach and they started to talk again? So I had to stop the service and say, I need you guys to separate, please. So I separated them, made them move away from each other so that I could finish the... I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was so bad. It's this chattering. It's, it's disruptive. We go back again to the greater context. What's he talking about? Order of worship, order in worship, not allowing there to be confusion. He's saying, you guys... And, and some people go so far as to say, I don't know if this is true or not. I wouldn't say so, but... But some people go so far as to say is that the men and the women are, are separated. They're segregated, men and women. And the women are asking their hus- husbands or other people, Hey, what does that mean? We just talked about that this morning, honey. Isn't that cool? No. That's my lady voice. <laughs> She's a smoker. <laughs> what, what does Paul say? Stop the chattering, guys. Stop the disruptions, you know, stay, stay engaged in what's being said. Everybody can prophesy, let each one have his turn. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? This is an interesting verse, and you have to remember, you have to think about this verse, uh, not as to the women, because he's not talking to the women. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Corinthian church. 
And their argument would be, hey, listen, this is the way that we've done it since we started here. And, and this is the way that we're always going to do. And we don't care what you, have to pull, what you have to say, Paul. And Paul's like, did the word of God originate with you? Is anybody else doing this? No. It's not like the, the, the revival or the gospel happened in Corinth. And now you have some kind of authority to say that that's the way that you can and will always do things. Was it you only that it reached? There's many people that have been saved, many churches that have been started, and none of them are acting like you guys. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. What a great little conclusion. He's been very repetitive, hasn't he? Again, same thing he's been talking about for the last 38 verses. Wraps it up. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. That's the balance that Paul brings. He didn't stop people from speaking in tongues and say, listen, that gift is not valid anymore and nobody should be speaking in tongues because he knew what was going to happen. The Holy Spirit knew that we're going to have these pendulum, this, these two sides of this pendulum where some people are just going crazy barking and meowing and then these other people are like, those gifts were, you know, ceased. We are cessationists and those are no longer for today. Can we find ourselves in the middle where, yes, these gifts are true. They're, they are for us. But the question is, whatever the gift may be, not if it's just tongues, not if it's just prophecy, but whatever the gift is, what is the gift that you have? What are the gifts that you have? And what is your motivation to exercise those gifts? Is it selfish or is it selfless? Do you receive a gift from God and see how you can take and give it to others? Or do you recognize other people's gifts in your own and try to take more for yourself? What's our acronym? What is it? Perfect. I, I had a lady, two ladies in, in the first service that said that we could even do another T for truth and we could do an O and say perfecto. I'm okay with that, you know. The, the T would be for truth and the O is, would be for others, you know, with the focus, the emphasis that, that, we should, that we should have. But it's perfect. You think about what the word perfect means. What, is, what does the word perfect mean? Complete, whole. And, and then you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and... and and how we, you know, we don't talk about it all the time. We don't think about it that much. But, but what comes to mind when we think of that chapter? God's perfect will for the edification of his church, for worship and order. <clears throat> perfect. Pursue, edification, receive, foreigner, excel, church together. It's a little rough, but we made it. Pursue edification, receive foreigner, excel church together. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father God, we, we want to bless you for your faithfulness to us. You're faithful when we are faithless, and you are faithful because it is who you are. You cannot deny yourself. You are faithful. 
Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for all that you're doing in our church right now, this season that we're in of just goodness and grace and mercy and salvations. And Father, we pray that you'd continue to pour out your spirit on your church. We pray right now that you would pour out your spirit on your church and gifts would be given and that we as your church would be able to identify what those gifts are and in turn we would use them, we would utilize them to bless each other for the edification of your church, the building up of your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning. You want to know what your gift is. You don't know what it is. I want you to know what your gift is. If that's you, while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to pray for you. We want to pray together as a church that we can identify what our spiritual gifts are and how we can use them. If that's you and you want to know, we want, you want to pray with me, pray together. Raise your hand up high so we can pray. I see your hands. Anybody else? Father God, I lift these up to you and just as we can see the desire of their heart is to bless you and to bless others by knowing their spiritual gifts. Gifts, I pray that you would, Father, speak to them. That you would allow your spirit to move in such a way that they would receive a gift and a call that is irrevocable. That you would tell them, that you would send a brother or sister to them to tell them that they would know, Father, and that they would bless you in obedience by stepping forward to use that gift. Thank you for your gifts, God, that you give us. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're not a believer. You don't, you don't identify as a Christian, or if you do, it's, it's a nominal Christian. It's an it's a American Christian. And I said something today, or there was a prophetic word to you that God wants you to submit your life to him. He wants you to repent of your sins. He wants you to trust him. He wants to restore you to a right relationship with the God that created you in your mother's womb. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you also. You're going to start a journey that is going to change your life for the best. If that's you, I'd like you to slip your hand up so that I can pray for you as well. And we can chat afterward. Anybody at all that's never made that confession of faith in Jesus Christ publicly before. We praise you, Father. We praise you, God, for your word. We praise you for the gathering of your saints, the gathering of, of these, my brothers and sisters, together. Utilize, use their gifts in one another's lives after this service. And for the rest of the week, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.